Section 57 of Editorials of the Dial Magazine, Volume 66. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By and large, the terms of the great peace were drawn to secure two objects, one offensive, the destruction of Germany, one defensive, the preservation of the present economic and political system. Obviously, it was impossible to destroy all of Germany. It is less obvious, but equally true, that in the process of destroying a part of Germany, the Allies have breached the defenses of the old order. In the long run, it makes little difference whether the German government signs the treaty or not. If the treaty is rejected, the Allies will enforce its terms without the aid of German official machinery. If the government accepts the treaty, the Allies will, for the time being, have the aid of a German executive organism obedient to their wishes. In the first case, the Entente governments will shortly find themselves dealing directly and at once with the kept classes of Germany, who will collect the required tribute from the masses of the population. In the second case, the officials will form an additional class of intermediaries between the Germans who produce and the Allies who claim the product. But the governing and owning classes of Germany already rock in the storms of revolution. To ensure the final and complete overthrow of both, it only remained for the Allies to make the position of official or capitalist not worth fighting for, and in this the statesmen have succeeded admirably. The terms are indeed ruinous. They will ruin the two intermediary classes in Germany, and iron the population out into decentralized socialism. When this has been accomplished, the burdens laid upon Germany will rest not, as is usual, upon tax-collecting classes that profit in spite of burdens, but directly upon the flat masses of the German people. Whether the capitalist system caused the war is a somewhat academic question. Certainly it made the peace, a peace with terms so heavy that German capitalism will be crushed out of existence, and the subject classes of Germany will be united in a hatred born of nationalistic rebellion in the class war. This animosity will have for its object the foreign-kept classes, whose only capitalistic function, as far as Germany is concerned, is the absorption of profits. Here, then, for the first time, the class that owns and the class that works appear in the undecorated roles of the taxer and the taxed. Whether or not this reductio ad absurdum of the old order will have an appreciable effect upon the taxed classes in the Allied countries remains to be seen. Already it seems safe to predict that Allied and German labor will find friendship and adversity. All this escapes those critics who seize upon the easiest interpretation of the treaty, and find the Allies in danger of killing the German goose that is expected to lay the golden eggs of indemnity. The figure does not go far enough. The real goose is an international bird, as long as labor and brain power in Germany and elsewhere are organized for production incident to the preservation of life, the goose lives. It is the system for collecting the eggs that is everywhere in danger. End of section 57